Breaking news coming to you this morning from our nation's capital. Trump threatens to impose tariffs on all incoming hurricanes. Washington, D.C. this morning in a brief talk with the press outside the White House yesterday, the commander-in-chief announced his intention to meet hurricane season head-on with a series of brutal tariffs. When asked why he was taking this approach, he replied, frankly, and I mean this honestly, these hurricanes have been coming across our borders and wreaking havoc on our people for far too long, okay? Trump said, we're being taken advantage of. I say no more. It's time you had a president who stands up to Mother Nature with fire and fury to protect this great country. And it might as well be me, because I know how to do it better than anyone else. Trump complained that since his loser defense secretary would not let him nuke these hurricanes at will, and after acting Homeland Security Secretary McLean rebuffed his request for a wall along the Florida coast, a tariff would be the next best option for containing the destructive force of this season's hurricanes. Anonymous sources say they overheard Trump telling staff, I've never met any problem that could not be solved by either nukes or tariffs. The same sources say Trump is floating the idea of also imposing tariffs on terrorism, highway potholes, and White House whistleblowers. That's your fake news for this morning. This is Joel Berry, and you are listening to the Petty Profit Podcast. So I should probably just make this clear, you know, just in case that that story I opened the podcast with, it it was not a real story. It was fake. So just (laughs) I uh, yeah, I make myself laugh. That's probably it. That's good enough for me. So speaking of hurricanes and our response to them, we're still seeing massive devastation in the aftermath of Dorian. I was looking in the news this morning and saw that uh, there are still 600 people missing in the Bahamas and the devastation is just so widespread and and just awful down there some of the pictures that have come out of uh, of the Bahamas and um, so the folks there still need a lot of prayer still need help but the news has already set its sights on another hurricane out in the Atlantic Hurricane Lorenzo uh, this from the Washington Post uh, Hurricane Lorenzo packs category four winds and presents an ominous climate signal. So it looks like this one, this hurricane is way far out east in the Atlantic. It'll it'll likely never make landfall, which is good. Um, it's even expected to hit some cold water here soon, which will slow down the winds considerably. So all good news regarding Lorenzo, but you know <laughs> that's not going to stop the media from turning this into a quote-unquote ominous climate signal. So this looks like it's one of the largest and most powerful hurricanes of record uh, that they've seen this far out east before. And again, don't forget, a hurricane far out east is a good thing. We don't want them uh, We don't want them west because that means they're hitting land. But, uh, you know, still a lot of media attention on this hurricane as, as just another hurricane in the trend of of powerful storms we've seen in the last several years and many climate scientists who uh, interpret that as as an ominous sign for our environment, for our climate due to man-made climate change and global warming. Um, 
I think it's funny how climate scientists have kind of taken the role that was once occupied by uh, pagan priests and shamans who look to the sky for good or bad omens. We think of ourselves as so sophisticated and advanced uh, with all our scientific knowledge uh, and understanding. We're so we're so full of ourselves now, but I think it's so funny how in thousands of years there are two major things that have not changed. One, we still fear the weather, <laughs> and two, our solution or some people's solution, is always the same. And that is killing children. Today it's abortion. Euthanizing the elderly. And curbing human population growth. It's, you know, we haven't changed much. We just, we repackage and reheat the same thing that we've been doing for thousands and thousands of years. Um, and that is destroying the the image of God and humanity. Um, in 1999, oh, that was... Uh, it was my freshman year of high school, so there you go. That's how old I am, folks. The Wachowski brothers accidentally created one of the great conservative Christian movies of all time, The Matrix. <laughs> um, at least that's what I think. While they quickly went on to remedy this mistake with two disappointing sequels, the original still stands as a classic for me. One of my favorite moments in the film is when the villain, Agent Smith, who's this sentient computer who's sent to keep human beings under control. Uh, the villain, he expresses his hatred for humanity in a, in a monologue that reads like, really like a modern environmentalist manifesto, or at least like Ricky Gervais's Twitter feed, if you follow Ricky Gervais. Um, <laughs> he and Agent Smith uh, share similar feelings about, about human beings in general. I want to play that clip for you here. Um, take a listen. I'd like to share a revelation that I've had during my time here. It came to me when I tried to classify your species. I realized that you're not actually mammals. Every mammal on this planet instinctively develops a natural equilibrium with the surrounding environment, but you humans do not. You move to an area and you multiply and multiply until every natural resource is consumed. And the only way you can survive is to spread to another area. There is another organism on this planet that follows the same pattern. Do you know what it is? A virus. Human beings are a disease, a cancer of this planet. You are a plague, and we are the cure. <laughs> okay, so there you have it. Modern environmentalism in a nutshell, folks. Um, Agent Smith's monologue from The Matrix, and <laughs> it's kind of it, what what happened. This is this is kind of funny. There's a companion piece on this subject that uh, I wrote. Um, I wrote a few years ago, and uh, it's up on the site now, uh, www.thepettyprofit.com. So um, check that out uh, when you get some time. It's called uh, Agent Smith and Earth Worship. Um, but I wrote it a few years ago, and so help me, no sooner had I uploaded this piece to the website, um, I saw in the news um, Jason Momoa, that uh, Hawaiian guy. I think he's from Hawaii. 
he's the actor who plays Aquaman and uh, that Dothraki guy from uh, Game of Thrones. He was speaking before the UN about climate change and literally ripped he ripped off Agent Smith's speech. <laughs> um, and I'm going to play it for you in a second here, but he's also channeling Aquaman a little bit. I don't know if he took the role a little bit too much to heart, but he kind of sets himself up as this spokesman for the seas here. So uh, take a listen to this cut. As a human family, through innovation and creativity, we have elevated ourselves and perceivably stand as the most powerful beings on earth. Yet our ego, our fear, and our relentless drive for profits have made us the only species willing to force disharmony with the natural balance of our world. The oceans are in a state of emergency. Entire marine ecosystems are vanishing with the warming of the seas. And as the waste of the world empties into our waters, we face the devastating crisis of plastic pollution. We are a disease that is infecting our planet. And there you have it. We, we are a disease that is infecting our planet. We are a disease that is infecting our planet. Now, I, I don't want to pick on Jason Momoa here. He seems like a good guy and I'm sure very well-intentioned and, and all that. And, you know, furthermore, environmentalism is good. Stewardship of our home planet is noble and worthwhile. You know, so at a certain level, I... I agree with him. I sympathize with his desire to care for the earth, but there is another vein of environmentalism that seems to have gone very wrong. The nobility of environmentalism has been woven together with a deep hatred for humanity and a perverted worship of creation. No surprise here, it's kind of been a theme all throughout humanity, and it's always, it's been repackaged for each generation. And In our generation, it's called climate change. But thankfully, there are two types of environmentalism. One sees humans as the virus that must be extinguished, and the other sees humans as God's image bearers who have the incredible ability to cultivate and protect our world. One sees human beings as the servant of creation, and the other sees creation as a gift to the human. So how can you tell the former from the latter? All you have to do is look at the proposed solutions. If these solutions involve central control, loss of freedom, fewer human beings, less free speech, euthanasia, abortion, you know you're talking to an Agent Smith environmentalist. And all I want to say here is you don't have to accept the false choice the progressive left gives you between loving humanity and caring for the earth. And I realize that not all progressive leftists present it in that way, but in the end, that's what they're doing. Whether they state it that way or not, They look at the only solution to protecting our Earth is minimizing human impact, minimizing human flourishing, minimizing the number of human beings. So I'm just saying you don't have to you don't have to accept that false choice. Have babies, fight for freedom of speech, fight for free markets. All of these things will be essential to addressing the environmental problems of the future. Don't let the Agent Smiths of this world win. You know, there's another thing, too. I I think that uh, Christians 
we have an instinctive reaction to climate alarmism that often gets left out of scientific debates, and we don't bring it up a lot because, you know, we want to be scientific and rational, and, you know, not a lot of people will accept the premise of, of the Christian worldview necessarily. But, you know, our worldview goes something like this. And if you're an atheist or an agnostic listening to this right now, first of all, I'm glad you're here and I'm glad you're listening. I don't expect you to fully be on board with everything I'm saying, but I'm hoping that I at least help to present the Christian mind on this. We Christians believe that we are, that human beings are the crown jewels of this creation. We believe that we were made by God and that we were made for God. One of our main directives here is to work towards human flourishing. The Bible calls those who follow Jesus salt and light in the earth. Our directive uh, comes from Genesis one twenty-eight, the creation story. After God created the universe and the earth and, uh, and all that is in it, he gave this command to the man and the woman. Let me read it for you here now. This is in Genesis one twenty-seven. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So there are two directives here uh, that are given to us by God, and uh, the first one is to be fruitful and multiply. And (laughs) being fruitful and multiplying, that goes completely counter to the main narrative push that human beings are the problem, that humans are at odds with creation, and our numbers need to dwindle. Not too long ago at the the CNN uh, climate summit for the Democratic candidates, Bernie Sanders was asked a question by someone in the audience about his approach to climate change. And one of his proposed solutions is to fight for birth control, to fight for access to abortion in the first and the third world, to limit the number of babies. He said that. I mean, it was stated plain as day. These people aren't shy about their worldview and their proposed solutions. They're, they're open about it. And like I said, this ideology, this kind of this human-hating ideology has taken many different forms over thousands of years, but it's essentially the same thing. In the 20th century, in the, you know, the mid-20th century, late 1960s, 1970s, it was overpopulation. A guy named Paul Elric wrote a book called The Population Bomb that took the world by storm. And it painted this this terrifying picture of what human overpopulation would do to the planet. And the, the first sentence of the book uh, really sets the tone for the rest of the book. Um, and and I'm, I'm getting this from a, an article from the Smithsonian. I'll link to it. It's, a, it's an interesting article. Um, But the first sentence says, the battle to feed all of humanity is over. Humanity's lost. Hundreds of millions of people are going to starve to death. Nothing can prevent a substantial increase in the world death rate. Um, And his central, you know, argument, his central thesis was that there was too many people packed into too tight spaces, taking too much from the earth. And that unless we drastically cut down our numbers, that we would face massive starvation on a dying planet. And, and this book exploded. This book exploded. Organizations and governments all around the world responded, and they responded with, with swift and 
decisive action to this. Elric painted a, a, a terrifying picture. And th- listen to this. Doesn't this sound a little familiar? Uh, in, a, in an interview with CBS News in 1970, um, he said, sometime in the next 15 years, the end will come. <laughs> I guess that didn't happen. Now we're 12 years away. I, they keep changing the timeline. Everyone immediately reacted. The International Planned Parenthood Federation, the Population Council, the World Bank, the United Nations Population Fund, um, oh boy, the Association for Voluntary Sterilization, and many other organizations promoted and funded programs to reduce fertility in poor places, of course, always the poor, always the lower class that are target, targeted for this. And the results, uh, according to this article, it says the results were horrific. It was a, an anti-population crusade. Quoting from the article here, it says, uh, some population control programs pressured women to use only certain officially mandated contraceptives. In Egypt, Tunisia, Pakistan, South Korea, and Taiwan, health workers' salaries were in a system that invited abuse dictated by the number of IUDs they inserted into women. In the Philippines, birth control pills were literally pitched out of helicopters hovering over remote villages. Millions of people were sterilized, often coercively, sometimes illegally, frequently in unsafe conditions in Mexico, Bolivia, Peru, Indonesia, and Bangladesh. In the 1970s and 80s, India, led by Prime Minister Indira Gandhi and her son Sanjay, embraced policies that in many states required sterilization for men and women to obtain water, electricity, ration cards, medical care, and pay raises. Teachers could expel students from school if their parents weren't sterilized. More than 8 million men and women were sterilized in 1975 alone. At long last, World Bank Robert McNamara remarked, India is moving to effectively address its population problem. And then, of course, we had China, who adopted the one child policy that led to huge numbers, possibly 100 million, 100 million forced abortions, often in poor conditions contributing to infection, sterility, and even death. Millions of forced sterilizations and abortions occurred. Just awful, awful stuff. And, you know, this was in the 20th, this was in the mid 20th century. (laughs) This is nothing new. This is nothing new at all. I mean, you look at what they're still finding, they're still finding in Peru today sites containing hundreds and hundreds of sacrificed children. These sites are littering South America all over these Aztec, Inca, and Mayan sites. Child sacrifice. Thousands and thousands of children were killed, were ritually killed to appease the gods to change the weather. They're now saying that uh, they think that this was done to, in response to the El Nino weather pattern. And again, you know, we're not superstitious like that anymore today. We don't, uh, you know, we don't worship Inti, the sun god, the way the Incans did. But the fear of the weather is still there, and the solution (laughs) is still the same. Still the same. It's almost as if there's someone at work who hates humanity and who is duping millions of, of humans into following his agenda. So, be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful and multiply. That was a directive given to us by God. And, and Christians, you know, we, we believe in God and we trust him that he will take care of us. That we can faithfully 
be fruitful and multiply and have kids and raise them up to love God. And it's not on us to worry about how our population is affecting the the planet. The planet belongs to God. And you know, in the end, how did the story of the population control efforts of the mid-20th century end? How did that story end? Well, their efforts didn't work. The population still exploded. I mean, it exploded. I mean, we, we now have over 7 billion people on this planet. But what happened? These millions of children that were born, these generations of people that entered this world, they innovated and they built and they came up with ideas and solutions and technology that made growing food more efficient, medical devices and treatments that preserved human life found more ways to harness energy and resources on this earth to support human life. And that overpopulation concern that existed is, is all but vanished, even though our population has exploded in the last 60 years. And so you see, in that case, human beings were not the problem. They were the solution. The, the second directive given in Genesis is um, for us to have dominion over creation, to have dominion over it. And that that word dominion, that's ancient language that was typically reserved to describe the role of kings. But here in Genesis, in the very first chapter of the Bible, you see that word dominion given to a man and a woman describing their role in creation. And that tells us that, that we're not servants of creation. We're not subservient to creation, but rather kings over it. And that, that's what informs the Christian view of conservation. Of course, of course we want to care for God's creation. Like any good king will care for his domain. But we always have to keep in perspective that creation was made for the enjoyment and sustenance of man and woman, that it was meant to point us to God. It is not an end to itself. Our primary job is to love the Lord our God, and to love our neighbor as ourselves, to work towards that human flourishing. And we reject all climate solutions that set up humankind as the enemy. So those are my thoughts for today. That's our show. I just want to leave you today with a random thing I'm thankful for. I'm going to do this every show. I'm going to, I'm going to give you a, a random little thing that I'm thankful for And, you know, maybe it's more for me than for you. You'll probably think I'm a weirdo, but I think it's good. It's good to remember what you're thankful for. It's it's good to reflect on that on a daily basis. It's it's good for your soul. So I want to tell you that I am thankful for spiders, okay? (laughs) Stick with me. I think spiders are amazing. We have uh, a a sunroom off our front porch, and, and there are two or three spiders that uh, spin webs and come out every night. And the, the, my boys have just been fascinated with those spiders. They go out and they, they watch them spin their webs. And one, one thing that's cool about having kids is you uh, are forced to to look at things that you had kind of forgotten about. And when you sit with your son you, and you watch a spider weave its web, you're watching just such a thing of beauty and wonder. I mean, this little machine that is crafting this incredibly geometrically symmetrical pattern out of filament that is stronger than steel. I mean, it's it's incredible. I just think that um, they're incredible testaments to the creativity and the power of God. I mean, you see these things and they're so complex and what they what they do is so complex and they don't have a 
a giant brain like humans do <laughs> to do this. They're they're programmed to do these amazing things. And there's a, a YouTube video series uh, that you may have seen called uh, that you may have seen called True Facts. Um, and they're true facts about different animals. They're they're humorous videos, usually pretty off color and and crude. Um, so if that's not your thing, I, I wouldn't recommend it. I'll link to a video in the show notes about uh, the ogre-faced spider, and <laughs> this thing, this thing is incredible. Um, the ogre-faced spider. It's this spider with these giant two. I mean, it has eight eyes, but two main eyes in the front. They're just enormous. Each evening. They take up to, according to this video, they take up to two hours to build up a photosensitive membrane of rhodopsin on their eyes, rhodopsin-loaded microvilli inside their eyes, which allows them to gather 1,500 times more photons in their eyes, which makes their night vision better than an owl or a, a, a nocturnal hunter like a cat. They also don't spin a web that is sticky. What they do is they... They create this net that they hold with their their hands uh, made of incredibly thin uh, fibers, nanometers across. These nanofibers are combined with in, in such a way that they gather static charge. So the, the spider is essentially sitting there with a statically charged net that it'll hang, it'll creates a scaffold, it'll hang from the scaffold, wait there with its net when its prey flies underneath it'll drop down and grab them with this net and then as soon as the nanofibers in the web come in contact with the waxy outer layer of the insect the the structure changes and they fuse with the insect itself so that it it just creates this inescapable sticky thing i mean it's gross (laughs) but it's amazing i just and this is just one spider of millions and millions of species of spider that all have unique sizes and patterns and and different shapes of of web and different ways of catching their prey it's just it's just incredible and uh i look at something like that and think man darwinism cannot account for this this is a an elegant piece of engineering and so there you go i'm thankful for spiders (laughs) that's probably more spider talk than uh and you signed up for but whatever this podcast is free i can talk about what i want okay spiders i'm thankful for them i'm thankful for you thank you for listening i'm glad you joined me um, i hope it was uh, uplifting to you and i will see you tomorrow thank you very much this is joel berry and uh this is the petty profit podcast mm-hmm.